Good morning, City Light. Happy Mother's Day. What an awesome day. Uh, Like Eric said, my name is Doug, and I hope your day today includes some time with mom, a sweet card maybe for mom, and definitely a short wait at brunch with mom. One of the things that I appreciate about my mom is she gave me this love for words, Um, Words have always been really fascinating and fun for me, and I think that's at least partially because of mom. When I was in high school, mom told me to take Latin for my language elective, and if you've never heard anyone speak Latin, that's okay. It's a dead language. Nobody speaks it anymore. But mom told me to take Latin because it would help me learn big vocabulary words, and she wanted me to learn big vocabulary words so I could get a good score on my college entrance exam, and uh, so I did. I got a decent score. I learned some big words that I will never use, except you probably don't want to play me in Scrabble, okay? You do not want to find me on Words with Friends. It will not go well for you. Uh, But words matter, and words stick with us. I bet you still remember the words to your first favorite song right? Like I remember some words to some of my favorite songs from high school still. Songs like Meet Me at the Crossroads by Bone Thugs and Harmony, or This Kiss by Faith Hill, or This is the Great Adventure by Stephen Curtis Chapman. I had quite the interesting teenage experience, okay? Uh, But words matter. Jesus himself, actually, he said that we will be judged by our words, And in the book of James in the Bible, it says that our words are like a fire that bring either blessing or cursing. In the book of Proverbs in the Bible, it says that our words have the power of life or death. You've probably heard some words that brought you life and lifted you up. And you've probably heard some words that felt like death and tore you down. On the one hand, using words to communicate, it's one of the most simple, basic things that we do in our lives. Like when my two-year-old says, Dad, I love you. And yet on the other hand, using words to communicate is one of the most powerful things we do in our lives. And this morning, as we open our Bibles to the Song of Songs, we're going to be looking at words In particular, we're going to be looking at words that this husband and wife share with each other and the influence those words have on their relationship. So what we're going to do, church, is we're just going to kind of go through, get a running commentary of their conversation. Then after that, we're going to zoom out and take notes on their conversation. Does that make sense? You guys with me? Okay, let's jump in. Chapter 1, verse 5. At this moment, the scene is, it's like they're on their honeymoon together but they're thinking back to when they first met. They're kind of having that moment, okay? Chapter 1, verse 5. She says, I am very dark but lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Keter, like the curtains of Solomon. Do not gaze at me because I am dark, because the sun has looked upon me. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept. Here's what she's saying. She's basically saying, you know, I could be an attractive woman, but right now, I'm not. Like, I know that I'm lovely, but right now, I'm not feeling pretty. I'm not feeling attractive. I had 
my brothers were jerks and they like just used me and they overworked me. They put me out in the vineyard so I couldn't take care of myself. That's what she's feeling. But then in verse seven, right, she kind of turns to her husband and starts flirting with him a little bit. She says, tell me, you whom my soul loves, where you pasture your flock, where you make it lie down at noon. For why should I be like one who veils herself beside the flocks of your companions? And so what we're getting here is we're kind of getting a picture of how they first met, right? She, she was like taking care of some goats. He was a shepherd guy. And she's going, oh, tell me you whom my soul loves, where you pasture your flock, right? She's kind of attracted to him, wants to be around him. And she's wondering, does he notice me, right? That's what's going on. And then verse eight, he responds, if you do not know, oh, most beautiful among women, follow in the tracks of the flock and pasture your young goats beside the shepherd's tent. So, I mean, he's noticed her, oh, most beautiful among women. He's saying, well, here's where I hang out. Want to come hang out where I hang out, right? She had said in verse seven, I refuse to date around with other guys. I just want to be committed to you and keep myself with you. And he's going, okay, well, then here's how we can hang out. Come hang out with me here. And he goes on in verse nine. He says, I compare you, my love, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. She's unique in her beauty. Verse 10, your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your necks, your neck with strings of jewels. It's like what royalty would wear. He's going, hey, you may be surrounded by goats, but in my eyes, you're royalty, right? And then verse 11, her girlfriends chime in. They say, we will make for you ornaments of gold studded with silver. Like, oh honey, don't worry about what to wear. We will pick you out a dress and get you some jewelry and some makeup. You'll be looking fine for your date with this shepherd dude, okay? It's like bridesmaids getting the bride ready on the wedding day, girlfriends getting their girl ready on her first big date. That's what's going on. Then verse 12, she sings, while the king was on his couch. Did you catch what she called him? She called him king. Now, he's just a shepherd, according to verse 7, but in her eyes, he's royalty, right? So she's saying, while the king was on his couch, my nard gave forth its fragrance. Her perfume is working, is what she's saying. Verse 13, my beloved is to me a satchet of myrrh that lies between my breast. He is near and dear to my heart. Verse 14, my beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms in the vineyards of Engedi. He's refreshing. And then he says to her, behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves. And she responds, behold, you are beautiful. My beloved, truly delightful. Our couch is green, the beams of our house, our cedar, our rafters, our pine. I mean, it's like they're in, on their honeymoon. They're laying out in a green grass or a field of green grass surrounded by these timbers all around them as they share these words with one another. But then you get to chapter two and she's kind of feeling a little bit of insecurity. And she says, I, I am a rose of Sharon. A lily of the valley. She's saying, you know, I might be pretty, but so are all the other girls. I'm just a common girl, nothing special, but he won't have it. He says in verse two, as a lily among brambles, so is my love among the young 
women. I mean, this dude is smooth, right? He is working. He's saying, okay, you want to be called a lily? I'll call you a lily, but you are a one of a kind lily. You are beauty among ashes standing out. I only have used eyes for you. This dude is smooth. So she responds, verse three, as an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. With great delight, I sat in his shadow and his fruit was sweet to my taste. She's saying, man, you're like a unique tree in a forest where I can come under you and find shade and shelter and safety. And so they're feeling close to one another. Verse four, he brought me to the banqueting house. His banner over me was love, right? He's brought her close emotionally, relationally, physically. She feels like she gets to be near to him. He's proud of her. He has a banner of love over her, her brothers. Earlier she had said her brothers had just sent her out and discarded her and used her for work, but now she's got this groom who wants her near and wants intimacy with her. And so in verses five through seven, well, that's a love scene, and they do what married couples do for the glory of God, okay? It's like been a good day for their communication, and so they go with it in verses five through seven. Now that's the scene, all right? Those are the words. And it's obvious that this couple, they're using words to communicate their love for each other. Now, what I want us to do as a church is just kind of zoom out now. We've kind of been in their conversation, shared some of the scene with them. Now, let's zoom out and take notes on their words. Take some notes on their communication. What were their words doing? And in particular, how did they work on their words? So men, let's go first, all right? Husbands, guys, dudes, here's the big idea for you. You ready? He uses words to communicate his love to her. He uses words to communicate his love to her. I know it sounds so simple, right? But men, sometimes it's also difficult, right? So before we get into all the content of his words, let's just state the obvious. He's using words, right? Like he's actually speaking words. He's singing words. There are words coming out of his mouth. He doesn't assume that since they're married, she ought to just know that I love her. He doesn't assume that since he keeps a job and pays the bills, he ought to just know that I love, or she ought to just know that I love her. Some of you, you might think that like I talk a lot or that I always talk with passion, but my wife, Whitney, she would tell you otherwise. I'm an introvert. I am also an internal processor, and my emotions, it feels like they're buried about 15 feet below my heart, and so it takes a little while to draw them up with my little thimble-sized bucket and go, here, Whitney, here's an emotion, right? And then it never feels like that much. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but for me, words are hard. Words take work. I'll never forget a a soccer practice back when I was in high school when my coach, he made me yell at all my teammates just to tell them what to do. He he knew that I was quiet. Like I, I wasn't a mute kid. I would talk with my teammates before and after the games. But when I was on the field, I would just kind of do my job and stay quiet. But my coach saw in me some leadership qualities and he knew if those leadership qualities were ever gonna come out, I'd have to speak out. So in practice, he spread everybody out on the field and he made me yell at them, like tell them just to pass the ball to this guy or drop the ball back to that guy. I hated the experience. It was terrible. So I started out and I was like, um, 
pass it to that guy? And the coach was like, no, that's not good enough. And I'm like, okay, um, pass it to that guy. The coach wouldn't have it. That wasn't enough. He took me all the way to the point where I had to yell, hey, pass it to this guy so that my teammates could actually hear the words coming out of my mouth. And I learned a lot from that experience. In particular, I still remember that if I'm going to communicate, the words actually have to come out of me to where they can be heard by others. I like to think words, but it's more difficult for me to speak words. Any men in the house with me on that? Sometimes, guys, it's easier for us to think words than to speak words. Sometimes it's easier, easier for us, guys, to do stuff than it is to say stuff. But here in this song, we find a man, we find a husband, a groom, who's working hard. He's using words to communicate his love to his Bride. So, men, we got a challenge right from the outset. We need to do some word work, right? Whatever it takes to communicate words of love to your wife. Maybe send her a text with a gift in there. Maybe send her a Hallmark card. Play for her your favorite country song, a rap song about a boy or a girl. Sit down and say words to her. We just got some work to do. And now, watch. Let's look at the content of his words. Let's just highlight a couple things that he does with his words. Look in uh, chapter 1, verse 8. The first thing he does is he uses his words to communicate that she is noticed. He uses words to communicate that she is noticed. So in verses 6 through 8, there's kind of this flirting going on back and forth. She wants to hang out with him. He wants to hang out with her. And they're kind of doing that back and forth. She's wondering, does he see me? Does he notice me? And he answers in verse 8. If you do not know, and I can just like see the grin on his face and kind of the twinkle in his eye as he says it. If you do not know, oh, most beautiful among women, follow in the tracks of the flock and pasture your young goats beside the shepherd's tent. So she was wondering if he noticed her and he responds with a very clear statement that yes, He has noticed her. He calls her, oh, most beautiful among women. He has noticed her. He has seen her. She stands out. I mean, he likes her a whole, whole lot to the point that in his eyes, she's the most beautiful in the whole world. Later in verse 15, he again compliments and notices her beauty, her physical appearance. He talks about her face, her neck, her jewelry. So Gentlemen in the room, just take note, okay? It is okay. It is good, great, grand, wonderful, and even desired by your girl for you to compliment her physical appearance. It's biblical to compliment her physical appearance. It sends a message to her that she is noticed. She's noticed. Now, he continues. He's still using words. Another thing he does, he uses words to communicate that she's unique. She's unique. Look at chapter 1, verse 9. He says to her, I compare you, my love, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. Now, what in the world does that mean? Well, it'd be similar to me saying, Whitney, you remind me of a Clydesdale who can kick field goals, right? Which was a great commercial, but that's not actually what is happening here, okay? Instead, what's happening is this husband is highlighting her uniqueness, right? He's saying, man, Pharaoh may have a stable full of stallions, but you are the mayor, right? Like you are exquisite. You are royalty. I see you and you are 
unique. In a world full of Huskers, you're a hot guy. That's what he's saying to her, okay? That's what he's saying. But, and she loves it, right? She's just eating it up. But at the same time, she needs a little more. Like her insecurities are real, right? Women, like her insecurities are real. So you skip down to chapter two, verse one, where she, where she says, I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. And what she's saying, like back then, lilies were very common. It'd almost be, you know, like you're driving down the highway and there's just wildflowers everywhere. She's saying, I'm just one of those, right? She's thinking, I might be pretty, but so are all the other women, all the other young women who are surrounding this awesome, godly young man that you are. But then the guy, he does some word work, right? Look at chapter two, verse two. He says, as a lily among brambles, so is my love among the young women. In other words, man, you, woman, you might be a lily. If you want to go with lily, we can work with lily. But you're not, you're in a lily of the valley where you're just surrounded and blended. No, you're a lily among brambles. You stand out. You are unique. You are exquisite. You are special to me. I mean, this guy is in the zone and you can't stop him. He takes what is common and he makes it unique. My wife, I'm guessing most ladies, my wife likes to go back to those early days when we first met, we were first hanging out, and she likes to ask me, like, hey, what did you see in me that made me unique? What, what was it that made you like me? And my first response was, um, you were pretty. And she was like, thank you, but anything else? <laughs> and she asked this question, gentlemen, you've probably heard it can you be more specific, right? That's what she was looking for. And so I knew, like this guy in the song, I needed to do some word work. So I go back and I'm thinking through my mind and I realized there were two things that really made her stand out. First, there was something she was wearing, in particular, a a pair of shorts and a shirt that I really liked. I'm gonna stop there, but it stood out to me. Secondly, it was her hair, right? I loved and I love my wife's hair. It is like a flock of goats going down the slopes of Gilead. I mean, I like my wife's hair, y'all, okay? So then I tried to communicate that to her, right? I had to do some word work. You are pretty or you were pretty. Like that was a start, but it was also just a start, So men in the room, your wife longs to know how she is unique to you. She longs to know how you see her. And we have an opportunity here, guys, okay? Can I just invite you into this opportunity with me? Chances are you're not going to quite be Casanova like the groom in this song. Chances are our little roses are red, violets are blue poems are going to feel kindergarten cheesy. Chances are you're going to kind of stumble over your words when you try to be all romantic with your wife. But chances are she will also feel unique. She'll feel noticed and she will feel beautiful. So the challenge, men, is to start doing some word work, man. Maybe it starts with just a little sticky note, maybe a quick compliment, maybe a text with a gift. Maybe you buy her a card and write her a poem in there. Maybe you write her a song and play the guitar for her. That will never be me. That will always be Dan Morse, okay? But anyways, like there's options you can do. So men, can I just challenge you this week, all right? Here's the challenge, guys. This week, Find one or two intentional ways to use your words to communicate your love to your wife, okay? Now, the opportunities are endless, right? 
There's so many options and ways you can do this, but all of them take intention and time. So intentionally create some time to do some word work and then give that along to your girl. See how it goes. All right? So he uses words to communicate his love to her. Now, in the song, as the man did his word work, the wife heard those words and she responded, right? She opened up slowly but surely to him as he did his word work. So ladies, now it's your turn, okay? Here's the big idea for you. It's kind of predictable. She uses words to communicate her love to him, right? You kind of knew where that was going, right? She uses words to communicate her love to him. But before we dig into the words she shares with him, again, let me state the obvious here. In the song, she heard his words. And when she heard his words, she received them. She didn't critique his words or call them stupid. She didn't reject his words and tell him to try again. She didn't criticize his words, question his heart, or reject his attempts. Instead, she received his words. Now, ladies, us men in the room, we have some word work to do, right? Like, and I gave that challenge to men just a few minutes earlier. But now, ladies, can I just ever so gently ask you for your help, okay? If your man, if you want your man to grow in his communication, him using words to communicate his love to you, if you want him to grow in his words, you're going to have to let him grow, okay? You're going to have to let him start somewhere and grow from there. His first words, right, they may be as simple as, you look nice. And I know you deserve so much more than that, right? You deserve a love poem with metaphors and similes and wonderful word pictures. You deserve a love song with like soaring melodies and fireworks in the background. You deserve the song of songs. But he gave you, you look nice. And if you can start with that, okay, ladies, just hear this. If you can receive that, it will encourage him to take another step, right? Next time, it might be, you look pretty or you look beautiful. We're going from one to two to three syllables. I mean, this is growth, ladies, okay? So you can help us so much by receiving the words that he gives you and, and by giving him your words. So now let's just look into the words that she shares with him. This is incredible, ladies. Your words carry so much power for your husband's. Every week, our staff gets together on Wednesdays, and we just kind of dig into the scripture passage that we're going to be talking about that following Sunday. I mean, I, I love this meeting. It's like we're literally swimming in scripture. It is just awesome. And this past Wednesday, as we were looking through this passage, my hobbit friend, Eric, he helped me see something about this passage. What he helped me see is that the wife's words were actually first right? Did you notice that in verses five through seven? The wife's words were first. And if you were to just make a simple list of the compliments they give each other, the wife actually compliments him more than he compliments her <laughs> and should. Jesus, we lift up Ray to you right now, okay? <laughs> so here's the idea. Ladies, your words are so powerful. So let me just highlight a couple things that she compliments in him. First, she uses her words to let him know that he is 
refreshing. He is refreshing. Verse four, chapter 1, verse 14. She says to him, My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms in the vineyards of Engedi. Now, Engedi is an oasis surrounded by desert over in Israel, right? It's just this desert oasis surrounded by dirt and sun-scorched rocks and grass. But uh, in Gedi is this beautiful oasis. It has this natural spring that turns into a waterfall that gives life to these plants and blossoms and flowers and all that sort of stuff. So she's saying, man, you are like one of those flowers in Engedi. You are the best of the best. You stand out from the rest. You're like a Qdoba burrito surrounded by Mickey D's fries and Burger King burgers. You're just so much better, right? You just stand out so much more delicious. And ladies, let me just say, if you were to say something like this to your husband, especially if you use food metaphors, if you were to say something like this to your husband, you can just watch his chest start to puff out. And you will watch his chin start to raise and you'll watch his eyes, right? The chest and chin you don't care about as much, but you do care about his eyes, ladies. You'll see his eyes take on a depth of joy to them. Your words can give him life, can give him fresh drive and fresh energy for him to do more word work to share with you. So she uses her words to communicate that he's refreshing, but she also tells him that he is strong. He's refreshing and he is strong. So in chapter one, verse 17, she compares their relationship to like being in a house with cedar beams and pine rafters, sturdy and strong and safe. And then in chapter two, verse three, she says, he is like an apple tree that bears fruit. So out in the forest, she can find shade and shelter and safety. And at the same time, she's well provided for. So she's using her words to let him know that he makes her feel safe. She's using her words to let him know that he is a good provider. And I can just imagine this groom's biceps getting bigger with every word coming out of her mouth. He's like, yeah, these are nice beams now that you say it. And yeah, I am an apple tree, whatever that means. I'm an apple tree. You just keep complimenting me, honey. I'm just eating up that you're eating up my fruit. Like go apples, right? Like he's in a good mood. Your words have a powerful effect on him. And so by now in the song, we have a wife who knows that she is noticed and cherished, unique and beautiful because her husband used words to communicate his love to her. And we have a husband who knows that he's refreshing and he is strong because his wife used words to communicate her love to him. And so in verse four, they start, she starts talking about, oh, he brought me to his banqueting house, right? He brings her close relationally and physically. She's saying, your words, husband, are to me like a feast of intimacy. You just brought me to a banqueting house and I'm feasting on your words. And then she says, he raises up this banner of love over me. He's so proud to be with me. And so she's giving her heart and her body to him. He's responding. And like I said, in verses five through seven, they do what married couples do when they're alone and they feel close to each other, okay? She essentially, she poetically in those verses, she says, oh, you have won me with your words, young man. You have won me with your words, my husband. I am swooning under the wonder of your words. And then the door closes so that the bride and groom can have a moment. 
That's what happens in verses five through seven. It was a good day for this couple, right? A good day. And so if you're married, I think the application is pretty clear here, right? Like do word work so that you can communicate love to your spouse. But let's say you're not married, right? Maybe you're single, divorced, widowed, widower, you know, whichever um, you are. What can you take away from this? It's not quite the right time to go have a honeymoon moment on a field of green grass surrounded by trees, right? So what can you learn from this? I think one thing you could take away is it's never too early and never too late to start doing word work. Single men in the room. How do you talk about ladies? You're hanging out with your guys, having fun, and an attractive woman walks by. How do you talk about her? How do you talk to ladies? How do you communicate with ladies? Is it with kindness and encouragement or crude? And single women in the room, how do you talk to men? How do you talk about men? Do you criticize them and tear them down, whether they're with you or not around? Or do you encourage them and build them up? It's never too early. It's never too late to do word work. Whether you ever marry or remarry or not, your words make a difference. Our words matter. And this morning we saw that the words matter in the love relationship between a husband and a wife. But we can also see that words matter in the love relationship between God and his people, between Jesus and his church. You see, God uses words to communicate his love to us. He didn't just create the world and give us a place to live and hope that that sent us a message. No, he speaks to us. He uses words. And he doesn't just give us clothes to wear and food to eat and a purpose to live. He speaks to us. He uses words. Like Jeremiah 31 verse 3, where he says with words, I have loved you with an everlasting Love Or John 3, 16, where Jesus says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Or Galatians 2, verse 20, where the apostle Paul says, Jesus loved me and gave himself up for me. Those are all written, confirmed, secure, eternal words that God uses to communicate his love to us. Yet I believe the most clear word ever spoken was when Jesus took on flesh. When Jesus stepped into this world, literally the word became flesh. The word took on skin and bones. The word loved us with his life, loved us with his death, loved us with his resurrection. And no louder word was ever spoken than the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus, who is the word made flesh, he was laid out on a cross, nailed to the cross, and then raised up on that cross. And when he was raised up on that cross, it was God raising a banner of love over us. It was God communicating his love to us, his eternal word of love. God will not use us and discard us and abuse us and just overwork us. Instead, God is a good God who brings us close, wants us to be near, and he raises his banner of love over us when he puts Jesus on 
the cross, an eternal word of love. Oh, church, may you always know that God's words for you are words of love because of Jesus raising his banner of love over us. Amen, church? Amen. Would you pray with me? Let's ask God to help us receive these words of love from him. Father, we pray even right now that you would open our hearts, open our ears, like the ears of our hearts to receive your words of love for us. Would you let us see the wonder of Christ on the cross, the eternal word crucified so that we could have life in you. The eternal word giving up himself so that we could receive the benefit. Oh God, would you help us to see the word of love you spoke to us on that cross? Would you help us to receive it and let it influence us and change us in our relationships? And Father, right now I pray for the men in the room. I do pray especially, would you give them a heart to receive your words of love? That they wouldn't just do work for you, they wouldn't just try to perform for you, but they would receive your words of love. Hear them and then empower them to share words of love with their wives. Oh God, let us hear your word. And Father, I pray for the wives in the room that they too would receive your words of love, hear from you, see you on the cross, and then have the grace to also receive from their husbands and to give words to their husbands. Can I encourage you, church, where you are, would you just ask God to speak to you? If he's a God of words, and his words can bring life to you, would you just ask him, Father, speak to me. Let me hear your words. And then another simple prayer. Would you just pray, Father, give me words to share. If you're married, ask for words to share specifically for your spouse. If you're not yet married, would you ask him to give you words to share, encouraging words to share with your friends, with your family, that you could begin doing word work right now. Father, we thank you so much that you are a God who communicates. You use words to express your love to us. Would you give us a hunger to receive those words, a willingness to receive them? And then would you give us the joy, the absolute joy of getting to share those words with those around us? All for your glory and your praise. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.